As you look around this world, there's not a lot of good news on the news. You see murder. You see rape. You see wars. You hear accounts of people dying around the world. And you look through and you look at the numbers of people that have passed away even this last week. It's horrible the things that have happened in this world. Then you think, not just in the world, but you think locally, and you think about the broken individuals within our local community, people that you see at work or you drive past or the students that you go to school with that are from broken families and broken homes that have literally no hope in and of themselves. People from there turn to drugs, they turn to alcohol, they turn to anything of a form of addiction, and just to fill that void. And at the end of trying to fill that void with just something, they end up being more hollow than they ever were when they began. And our world is filled with people like that, but even our local community is filled with people that have a hollow existence. You ever ask yourself, why does this church actually exist? Now, now that the heaters are working in our church, you're a lot more comfortable, and I, I congratulate you for those who suffered through the cold winter months while the heaters were not working, and you got underneath the blankets, and you suffered for Jesus. And you may have asked yourself on those Sundays when you're shivering, like, why is this guy not done yet? It's been four minutes. Thinking, what is this church all about? Why are we here? And the why of our church, and we look back on the New Testament, we find the why of the church, because Jesus Christ started the church, this is his church. Why do we have church? In John chapter number 14, we see some of this. We see the, the why of church. To give you a little bit of background, going back to the previous chapters. This is the end of Jesus' ministry here on earth. He's just about to go to the cross and die for our sins. And he's there with his inner circle disciples, teaching them and giving them some final instructions over chapter 14, 15, and 16 of the book of John. That's the final instructions that Jesus gives. He talks about the comforter and the Holy Spirit. He tells them several times that he's going to go. But previous to this, you look at the previous chapter. You have these disciples, and they're from a wide variety of people. You have a tax collector. You have people, one of them is known as a zealot, and the zealots or people that were basically like the terrorists of the day, religious terrorists of the day. You had a, an interesting group. You had some fishermen. They probably still stunk. And you had these guys that were brawlers. They would argue about literally anything. And then you have this group of people that have come together, and Jesus is teaching them, and he's telling them, giving them his final instructions. In this last passage, in chapter number 13, he tells them, one of you, and there's not that many people to point fingers at. There's only 12 of them there. One of you is going to betray me. And they all look around. Is it, is it me? Is it, is it me? And then he says, one of you, which is Peter, he's talking to specifically, you're going to deny me. Not just once or twice, but three times. Just tonight you're going to deny me. And then he finally says, and by the way, I'm going to leave you. You imagine the uproar in these people 
in these disciples. They've been around Jesus and following him in his close inner circle for the previous three and a half years or so. They've relied on him. They've learned from him. And Jesus says, one of you is going to deny me. One of you is going to betray me. And I'm going to leave you. The uncertainty of these people, was these, these men, was absolutely huge. The bad news. And then in chapter number 14, Verse number one, it's on the screen for you if you don't have your Bibles, but let me encourage you, have your Bible open in front of you. It says this, let not your hearts be troubled. Have you ever got bad news and the first thing you hear is don't worry? That's very Australian. See, Jesus obviously has some Australian in him because he had the no worries type of attitude here. And you look at this and you go, let not your heart be troubled. And as soon as I get bad news and someone says, it's okay, that's the last thing I want to hear. If it's something, just a simple blend, it'll be all right. There's, no, there's emptiness behind it. But Jesus goes on and gives them some good news. Let's keep reading. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And in verse number two on, he gives them the promise of heaven. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go and prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Continuing on in verse number four. And you know the way to where I am going. And in verse number five, this is Thomas talks here. This is the same Thomas as later we find out we've referred to as doubting Thomas. But doubting Thomas here asks a really good question. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. He's a typical guy. He didn't listen. How can we know the way? There's two factors here into knowing the way. These are the ways that we're going to know the way. As a local church, this is what we're going to be based upon as a church. It's not my feelings. It's not my opinion, or to be honest with you, your opinion. It is simply these two things. It's on the screen for you. It says this, listening and trusting. Listening to God and trusting God. Specifically, listening to Jesus and trusting Jesus. If we simply do those two steps, and we will be able to move forward in our, in our life. How are we going to know the way to move forward? is by listening and trusting in Jesus. The purpose of this church can be summed up in simply listening and trusting Jesus. And we want to do that together as a community. When my daughter was two years old, she fell and broke her leg. She broke her femur. And she was in the hospital for 10 days in traction and another 10 weeks out of traction. And her, her poor little leg, and she had a, her third birthday in the hospital, and she was terrified of the nurses because every time they came in, they poked her with something. She was finally well enough to have the lint off her leg, which was completely straight for 10 weeks. And when they finally took it off, it was not comical at all, but in hindsight, it was kind of funny looking. They take this thing off her leg, and she's now physically able to bend it. But her leg stands straight up, and it moves around, and like it's going around, and she's unable to bend her knee. And over time, 
The doctor said she'll be able to bend her knee. And after several weeks, we came back to the doctor and the specialist, and he looked at her knee, and she was walking with a definite limp along the way, which, of course, makes us very nervous. You know, is one leg shorter than the other? Did they set it correctly? After all of these months of treatment, is she going to, my daughter, three years old, going to be okay? And the doctor said something that wasn't particularly profound, but it was very, very true. He said, she just has to trust that her leg is healed. That's it. And over time, she did, and she began to move her knee more, and she began to walk normal, and now you wouldn't know what happened to her. She, she runs normally. But simply this, that she had to trust that her leg was healed. It was no longer broken. Trust is a really difficult thing. We often think that we hear from God, but then we have a hard time putting it into action. We can be just like that. We can carry around our past failures. We can carry around our past sinful behavior to where we've labeled ourselves a certain way years previous. Jesus Christ has come into our lives, washed our sins white as snow, as the Bible says. We are clean. He's taken our sin and buried it in the deepest part of the ocean. In other words, we're never going to find it. The other scripture says he's put it as far as the east is from the west. In other words, you're never going to see it and find it again. But we still carry around these labels. And we say, okay, God, I've heard you, but I have a hard time believing and trusting you. Continuing on in this passage, it says in John chapter 14 and verse number 6, Jesus, after the question from Thomas, how are we supposed to know where you're going? How are we supposed to know the way to get there? Jesus says this. Jesus said to him, I am the way. I and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Our principle for today is this. Every week we have a principle. It's in your bulletin to follow along. It says this. I can live a confident future by listening to and trusting Jesus. Simply trusting in something isn't enough. We must trust in Jesus. Simply listening is not good enough. We have to actually put it into practice. Hearing is not always action. I've discovered that this week. Now that I am, for the next five, six days, I tell my kids something, and they go, yes, Dad, because they're really good kids. And then I come back 15 minutes later, and they haven't done a thing. They listened, but they actually didn't, oh, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt, they didn't comprehend what I was meaning. Is that the case? Not at all. They chose not to listen. They chose not to live it out. So therefore, let's go through these three points really quickly. Jesus says, I am the only way. He says it's exclusive. I am the only way. We often begin to focus on the short term and think small. And we don't think big picture. In many ways in our life, there's a number of ways to get to the destination. In your education, there's a number of pathways that you can take in order to receive the, the education you need to follow the career path that God has for you. There's a number of ways. There's a number of, of different directions you go and you follow a map. You can look at the map and see there's a number of different paths you can take. But in, to get to God, there's only one way, and that way is Jesus. And you ask Jesus, if you would do it all over again, if you could do it a different way, would you do it? And he said, there's no other way. 
I would do it 100% exactly the way that I did it before. Not only is Jesus the only way, he is the exclusive truth. Jesus says, I am the truth. Now, this is a difficult thing for us to comprehend, I believe, in our modern society, because everything in our society is up for question. Someone says that it's raining outside, and they go, well, actually, it's just cloudy. Or they go and they say, well, it's this way. And no, actually, it's everything is up for debate in our society, in our world today. And the, the, the fact of absolute truth is even up for question. Is something absolutely true or not? And in many people in their philosophy of life believe that there's no such thing as absolute truth. I believe firmly there's absolute truth. You step in front of the truck, there's absolute truth that it's going to win. No matter what you believe or not believe. I've told the story in the past about when I was five years old at my grandparents' house and I got some really cool new shoes. And I was really proud of my new tennis shoes and I, I wore them around. And you, you know when you wear them around, you're proud of them. You look at your feet the whole time when you walk around. And I saw a nail sticking out of a piece of, of wood, sticking straight up out of the wood. as one of those big, long, probably like 75 mil long um, nails, and I saw that, I, and I remember so distinctly thinking to myself, my shoes, nothing can hurt these shoes. <laughs> and I stomped my foot down, and of course, you know exactly what happened. There is such a thing as absolute truth. And Jesus says, you want to see absolute truth, here I am. There is only one way, I am the truth. There's not many ways to God, there's only one way to God. Jesus also provides real life. BCF did not coin the phrase, this is living. I believe that it was done by Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago because he looks it around and he says, this is living. This is real life. This is real reality. I mentioned earlier my father-in-law passed away. He was a man that knew Jesus Christ as his Savior. He had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I believe without a shadow of a doubt, the moment he closed his eyes in death, he opened them in eternity in the very presence of Jesus Christ. Because that's what the Bible teaches. And I believe without a shadow of a doubt, that is the case. Now he understands reality. In our world, we see things such small scale. We see life in, in a scope of maybe 70 or 80 years, and God sees it from eternity, from the beginning and from to the end, and He sees the pathway where you and I are going all at the same time. Now, you and I, we have a hard time maybe doing three or four things or, or one thing really well at, at one time. God does everything. He sees all seven plus billion people here on earth. He sees the ants that are moving around the ground, and He sees how we're all working together, and He understands real reality. And if we're to experience real life, we must do that through Jesus Christ. Because he's the one that has given you value. In 1943, 2,000 paintings were donated to the Chicago Museum. And this museum, Chicago, in 1943, stuck these 2,000 paintings and drawings into the archives and left them there for over 50 years. In the mid-80s, they came through and began to process them and, and catalog all these. And they found amongst all these paintings and all these things that were old, they've been sitting in the archives, no one had looked at them for 50 years, they found an original drawing 
by the, the Grandmaster Raphael. And it's not the Ninja Turtle. And as a result, they cleaned it up. Now it's on display at the museum as a prized piece. What gave that piece of art value was not the paper it was written on. It was not who it was around, because it was with 2,000 other drawings that had little to no value. It was whose name was on that drawing. And in the same way, God in his creation, which we're going to talk about next week, that he has his stamp on you. God has his name on you. He has given you value. That right there is the beginning to understand real life. And for you and I today, very briefly, we're going to go through and ask ourselves, how do we experience the way, the truth, and the life for you and I today? Because this is not just the purpose of our church, this is the message of our church for our community around us and ultimately the world around us. In John chapter 14 and verse 1, again, it says, Let not your hearts be troubled. See, Jesus had told his disciples again and again and again, I'm going to leave you. Get ready. And he began to prepare them. And it wasn't until after Jesus died and rose again from the, from the dead that the, the proverbial light bulb went off in the disciples' minds, and they had the huge aha moment, like, now I understand. Now I see what Jesus was meaning when he was saying all these various things. And if you look back on Jesus' teaching in the book of John, chapter number 10, so go back four chapters to John, chapter number 10, and Jesus uses an illustration Throughout Jesus' teaching, he uses a lot of illustrations. He uses a lot of word pictures. And I believe it's because it's not just the Eastern style. That was the Eastern style of teaching. But also, it's really helpful. Because if you tell me something that's really deep and profound, and I go, uh-huh, you understand? Oh, sure. But if you paint a picture in my mind, then I can go out and understand it conceptually much better. And that's what Jesus did here. He calls himself something. On the screen, there's a little door. He calls himself a door. I am the door. And he says this, John chapter 10, verse 9. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. In other words, you will experience new life. You'll experience salvation. And will go in and out. That is, you'll have safety in this life. you have security. And then goes on and says, and find pasture. You know, you have satisfaction. You'll be satisfied. You have peace in this life. This is a relatable illustration because he was speaking to, and in the context there, was giving an illustration about him being the door to the sheepfold. Now, to use this illustration, he's calling you and I sheep. Okay? We're good-looking sheep, but we're sheep. And he says, he's, we're the sheep, He's the door. Now, in that time period, this is really quite interesting. They would build sheepfolds. And, and a shepherd would have normally some, some blocks or some, some stones that are piled up in order to keep the sheep in. And outside of that, they would grow thorny bushes around in order to protect their sheep from the, uh, the, the wild animals. And, of course, anyone that wants to get to the sheep has to go through the thorny bushes. 
And that would go all the way around the sheepfold, except for a narrow section in, on one side, which was the door, or the doorway, rather. And at nighttime, the shepherd would sleep in that doorway. In other words, if anything was going to get to his sheep, how were they going to get there? They'd have to go through the shepherd, because he is the door. And you imagine Jesus walking along with his disciples, and they come along a sheepfold, and there's some sheep in there, and there's briar bushes with, with big thorns all around, and in there there's a doorway, and Jesus walks past them and says, See that? That's me. I'm your door. When he says, Let not your hearts be troubled, it's not just some throwaway statement like, It will be okay. She'll be right. Oh, pull yourself up by your own old bootstraps. He's already been teaching them from far earlier that he's there with them. He is their door. Our world today does not need another social program. Our society and our, our, in our nation does not need another program and another study in order to tell us what our problems are. What we need are people like you and I to go out and to show people who their door of security really is. We cannot rely upon our government. And this is not an anti-government speech. What this is, is if we simply rely upon the government to provide for us or to give us morality or to tell us what is right or what is wrong, then we are in a dire, dire position. We must go back to the who is our door, that is Jesus Christ. Continuing on reading in verse number 10 and 11, Jesus says, the thief, remember he's, he's the doorway of the sheep, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. He's specifically talking about Satan. Satan's coming to kill, to steal, and to destroy. Continuing on, it says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I like that verse, don't you? And in verse number 11, and I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now, at the time, the disciples didn't fully understand what Jesus was talking about there, that he was going to lay down his life on the cross for you and I so that we could be his sheep. In verses 17 and 18, Jesus says, For this reason the Father loves me, because I laid down my life. And he talks about coming back again, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up. This charge I have received from my Father. Twice here he says, I'm going to die, but I'm going to rise again. And he makes that statement. And the disciples did not understand that at the time. It wasn't until later that they understood this. But you and I have the blessing of seeing the big picture. And we know that after Jesus died, we know that three days later he rises from the dead. And when we read scriptures like this, we read them as encouragement because we see what Jesus Christ has done and can do in the future. Jesus said that he is the door. He is not a door. And in that he makes an exclusive statement that he is the only way. There's no other religion that will lead you to Jesus Christ. There's no amount of morality that will lead you into a relationship with Jesus Christ. He simply says in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
No one comes to the Father except through me. So not only Jesus, the door, let's bring it back. Jesus is your door. There's a couple of different applications we can take away from this. First of all, in difficult times, when you feel like Satan, the thief, is coming from all sides to get you, you know that if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, Jesus Christ is your door. He is the one that Satan has to go through to get to you, and so therefore you are secure in your salvation. You are protected in that. There's nothing you can do to break that bond. But also with that, the application is we can look and see that Jesus Christ is the door for those that are yet to receive Christ as Savior. Maybe you today don't have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Maybe you've been religious. Maybe you've gone through the motions. Maybe you've attended church here for quite a period of time or, or another church, and you've never actually taken that step of walking through the door and saying, Jesus, you are my door. You are my Savior. You're not just Jesus. You are my Savior. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, it says, For our sake he made him to be sin." who knew no sin. That's a bit of a tongue twister, but what it talks about there is God says he made him. He put all of our sins upon Jesus Christ, who was perfect. And it goes on and says, so that we might become the righteousness of God. So that we can have the right, righteousness simply means to be in right standing. So we can be in right standing with God. In the book of Revelation, chapter number 3 and verse 20, Jesus uses an illustration, again, of a door. But this time, rather than him being the door, he uses the illustration of him standing at a door and knocking on it. To be in context here, he's talking about coming in and, 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 and coming into the, to the church. But we can also take this illustration of Jesus Christ saying, I'm at the door, will you let me in? And that's a question that every single one of us have to answer. Because in John chapter number 10 and verse 9, it says, I am the door if anyone enters by me. He will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. I like to people watch. You know, you like to sit in the, when your wife's shopping. You sit there and you people watch. You ever been to a, a, a shop when they have automatic doors? That when the doors, someone walks up to them, the doors open up automatically. And then, of course, then they close behind you. The beauty of this, when you people watch, is that you walk through, and some people are, of course, on their phones. And you, <laughs> you ever watch somebody kind of misalign because they're not watching because they're on their phone, and they misalign the door a little bit, or they mistime the timing of the door? But in this illustration, the door opens for whoever comes. It doesn't matter if they are tall or short or fat or skinny or good-looking or not quite as good-looking. And you look at that, they opens for everybody. It doesn't matter. It's no discrimination with those automatic doors. You just have to walk up to them. And it's amazing the faith that people have for them because they walk up with full pace, fully trusting that door is going to open. And if it doesn't open, they're in big trouble. And so, but you look at this in Jesus Christ. Jesus says, 
I am the door. If anyone enters by me, anyone, whatever your past is, whatever you've done in the past, if you enter by me, I'm going to open up the doors to you. You can come straight in. There's three important doors, and then we're going to close this morning. There's a, the door of birth and life, the door of death, and the door of choice. You didn't have and don't have a choice with the first two. Birth and life, I'm sorry, as good as you are, you did not choose to be born. You just showed up, much to the surprise of your dad. That's a, that's a little side note. I think that's why we have nine months of pregnancy is purely for the guy to get ready. And you, have, you didn't do anything for that. God gave you life. You didn't have any choice. The next is death. Unless you do something drastic, there's nothing. It's not your choice when you're going to go. You go when God tells you you're going to go. But the third is the door of choice. We do have control of this. God has given us free will. He's allowed us the beauty, uh, the, the privilege rather, of being able to choose whether or not we're going to go through the door of Jesus Christ or not. The unfortunate part is, if you choose not to go through the door of Jesus Christ, when he says, I am the way, the truth, the life, he's the only way that you're going to find true, lasting reality of, of life. This door is for you. Our principle for today was I can live a confident future by listening to and trusting Jesus. I have a couple questions and a challenge for you this morning. My future is confident because of what? Why don't you answer that question? Because of what that you can be confident in the future? And I don't want to be overly you know, morbid or or try to scare you, but there's a time where you're going to close your eyes and you're going to die. You, are you going to do that with confidence? Or is that something that's going to scare you because you don't know what's in the future? And the second question is, is there something in your past that makes it difficult to listen to and trust Jesus? If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, your sins are forgiven. You are washed clean. Repent of that what you're holding on to, let it go and move forward in the wonderful grace and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And then finally, I have a challenge for you today. Today, you can know the way, the truth, the life by simply accepting Jesus Christ as your Savior. That is, accepting Him is not just adding Him to your life. It is accepting the forgiveness that Jesus Christ has given you. By dying and on the cross and rising from the dead, he did that for you and for me. And today, you can know that truth. That's the message of our church. That's the why of Southwest Baptist Church. As we move forward to the next five years, ten years, a hundred years in the future, I pray that's still going to be our message every single week so that you can have confidence when you bring your friends and family to Southwest Baptist Church, they're going to hear that there's a God that loves them, a God that cares for them, a God that forgives them and has a plan and a purpose for their lives. Let's pray together.